We are over in Acts chapter 22. Paul has uh, just ignited a riot just by his mere presence. And he has uh, had the Roman soldiers come in to this mob that was beating him up and save him. And as he was coming up to the top of the stairs, he asked if he could address the multitude, the mob that was there. And then we pick up here in chapter 22. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. I guess they weren't expecting that to be Hebrew, but for whatever reason, they weren't expecting it. I guess they uh, had a lot of preconceived ideas. I don't know why they don't know that Paul can speak Hebrew, but for some reason it, it seems that way. But look at how quickly Paul is ready to give a defense. How many times we think we got to go pray and meditate on it and plan it out and so forth. He just had this mob rise up and he says, hey, let me give a defense here. He's ready to go. We've got to be ready to go sometimes and be ready to be willing to go with what's on the inside of us. As Jesus said, when they call you before the courts and things like that, don't you be anxious about what you're going to say. You let the Holy Spirit give you the words to speak and have the confidence that that's going to happen. So they all kept more silent, and he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Nice little way to identify with the crowd that's there. He's there. He knows they're all there because they're zealous for the law. And he says, I was just as zealous for the law as you all are here today. So he's telling them, I was first off, I am a Jew. I was not born here. I was born in Tarsus, but I was brought up here in this city. And Gamaliel, one of the, one of the higher teachers of that day, one of the more well-known teachers, uh, he, was, he was my mentor, my teacher. So he's given them some things they can identify with. All right, we know where Paul's come from here. And was zealous toward God as you are all today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Now, the reason he brings that out is because it was customary that when you brought people into prison, you did not bring the women. You brought the men. Paul is saying, I was so zealous, I went over and above what other people did. I didn't just bring the men. I brought the men and the women. So he said, if you think you were zealous, I was more zealous. Most people just went after the men. I went after both the men and the women. So that doesn't say anything to us. We read that thing, we just skip right on through it. Well, they went after men and women, big deal. But for the folks there, what do you mean you, want, you took the women into? I mean, if they were going to be Christians, you're going to take them into custody too? So I, perse- I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to, there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now again, he's saying a lot here which would be blind to us if we're not familiar with what's going on. The Jews persecuted the Christians within Judea. What Paul is saying is, I went outside of Judea. Other people persecuted the men, I persecuted the men and the women. Other, persecu- other people persecuted the Christians here in Judea. I persecuted them in other places. You would travel around the country. I was ready to travel the world to persecute these folks. 
And Paul kept gaining more and more power. He got letters from the council and he says, the council that is here, the high priest will attest. They gave me letters. They gave me authority to go out there and to get these people that were in the way and to bring them back. And I did. I brought people back into custody. They will attest to it. So he's telling them, look, I, I may be on this side now, but I was not always. I was on the other side. So he's, he's uh, explaining to them where he had come from, what he had done. He said, also, the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem be punished. Now, you're going to see a, a, a progression in Paul's life. What he refers to here is he first was a low man on totem pole in this persecution. But as he was having success and as he was having zeal, they gave him more authority. With more authority, he brought more people into custody. With more success, he was given more authority. As he had more authority, he brought more people into custody, but had more success. More success brings more authority. More authority brought more success because Paul was very diligent in whatever he did. He put everything into it. And so that uh, encounter on the road to Damascus is basically God saying, Paul, this stops here. Because he's gaining more and more authority and more and more power to work against his church. So he's basically saying, I have been witnessing to you all on this process and you are not listening. Now either listen or die. This is the end of the road for Paul. He's on Damascus. He either listens or it's over. Now God doesn't say, I'm going to kill you. But, <laughs> but uh, Paul, Paul, Paul repented before that ever got to that point. He said, oh Lord, he, he remember he goes back in there, Lord who... Uh, Lord, who are you? What's your name? Because he always called him Jehovah. What's your name? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He did not expect that. You're Jesus. You're the one I'm going after. You're, you're Jesus. You're the one addressing me. <laughs> that had to be quite a, a shock to him. And he was quick to repent, which was good. You might get in the wrong way, but always be quick to repent. We'll certainly help you out. Verse 6, now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Jehovah? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid. But they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go to Damascus. And there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. And then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. He's given a name. He's not just saying someone. This is a name. Always irritates me when people, news, and they say someone. Uh, undisclosed sources. That's ridiculous. I mean, who is it? Just Harry Reid was just saying, I have an undisclosed source about something. He made an accusation. Don't, don't give me that. Give me a, tell us a source. If you can't disclose the source, you can't disclose the information. Because anybody can say, though, somebody told me something. And you never have to verify it. Who was that? Um, Harry Reid was the same guy back in the elections. He said, well, somebody told me that, um, who was the guy running? Um, the Republican guy. 
uh, Mitt Romney didn't pay his taxes. Somebody told me. He wouldn't say who the somebody was, but somebody told me, well, it wasn't true. <laughs> but, but, you know, he can just throw that out there. I think that's the most ridiculous thing. He ought to be hung up. As far as I'm concerned, he's just, uh, that's wrong, especially for a person of the law to say things like that. Paul's not doing that here. He is giving a name. He's giving a place. Ananias, he's in Damascus. He's a prophet. He's a Jew. He has a good reputation among the Jews. Go on out there and ask him if you want to. So he's giving him a name, place, and so forth. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So he tells him, I was, I was baptized. As soon as that, was, that went on, got in there, got baptized. So he was blind. He gives him the story of how he received his sight. He's giving him people that he can go check up on. Go ahead and go check out my story. Here's some people. I'm not just giving you a story. I'm giving you people that were there. There were people along the way with me in Damascus. There was Ananias. There were people here. Who, and he tells things what went on. You can go check out these facts. He's throwing it out there for him. Verse uh, 17. Well, let's go back to 14. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So he says, right then I got my call that I was to take this message to people. Now, he just said men, and, and he's just talking about people in general. He's going to uh, make this a little more specific. Now, it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Well, this was a long time ago. They wouldn't receive him. And right now we're back in that same thing. We're not receiving them again. In the middle, they sort of received them. But now we're back on the other side where they're not receiving them again. Of course, for different reasons. Before they didn't receive him because he was persecuting the church. Now they're not receiving him because he's part of the church. Isn't that fun? So make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. This is in a trance that he had. He's relating these things that are going on. Now, there's no one that can verify that. He's telling them what God had told him in this trance, what God had told him in this, this, uh, uh, these direct words that he got. But everything else they could verify and they could go outside and do that. This one they could not. But when they got to the part of, I will send you far from here to the Gentiles, that sent them all into a, into a bit of a tizzy. They had a hard time with that. Verse 22, and they listened to him until this word. Not sentence, not thought. Word, a word, got them all upset. One word, Gentiles. I, if he would have said Greeks, would have been a bad? <laughs> I, I don't know. But um, as soon as he got to that, depart from here, I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. They all went into a tizzy. Away with him. 
Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. He is not fit to live. Now, look at this statement. Why is Paul not fit to live? They're willing to listen to everything he's saying until he gets to the word Gentiles. So because he wants to take the message to the Gentiles, he is not fit to live. Where is that in the word? It's nowhere in the word, is it? Nowhere in the law. Nowhere in the Roman law. It is not written anywhere. God has never shown that the word of God should not go to the Gentiles. And even in the Old Testament, there were Gentiles that it went to. And even Jesus talked about certain Gentiles that the word of God went to. But they're upset because he's going to the Gentiles. And because of this, they're not fit to live. He's not fit to live. Now, there are some things that the word of God puts a penalty of death on. This is not one of them. Because according to the word, this is not a problem. (laughs) But it is for them. So I put this in your outline for you. This statement is based on feeling, not on fact or law. It is based on feeling. That's all it's based on. If you want a modern day thing of this, just this this week, uh, I don't really know the guy. Some other people might know, especially basketball fans, but the Clippers owner, um, Donald Sterling made an absolutely ridiculous statement. But here's the thing. It's not new. This guy has been making racist statements for a long time. But they have put up with it because he supports Democrat candidates. I believe he's registered a Republican. But his support has gone to Democrat candidates. And they have tolerated it because he keeps feeding the things they want fed. So all of a sudden something comes out that they can't cover up and they all want to act shocked. But they all knew it. I don't know it because I don't, I don't care about the, what's going on over there with the, the different basketball owners and stuff like that. I, I barely care about the Sixers. I do a little bit, but not a whole lot. It's, the, it's kind of like my uh, fourth favorite team out there on the Philadelphia circuit. So I don't really follow them a whole lot. I couldn't even name for you the Sixers owners, let alone someone out in L.A. But he's, this is not the first time he's been making these statements. He's getting a little senile, and apparently the girl that he's seeing, he has to record a lot of things that he's saying because he thinks everybody ought to hear what he has to say. He thinks it's important. <laughs> and so, and they did hear what he said, yeah. And apparently she's out there backtracking on the whole thing and uh, apparently doing stuff like that. But, you know, but this is, the news media will focus on this now, and they'll act shocked. There's no reason for them to act shocked. This, he has said stuff in their hearing before. When they act shocked, they're showing their hypocrisy. That's be shocked before. Don't be shocked now. But but now you know they, for whatever the reason that there is. But here we have a media who is focused on emotion. They're focused on feeling, and that's all that they're focused on. They're messing with stories like missing planes. How much time has been given to a missing plane, and we still don't know where the plane is? How much time has been given to healthcare and? Presidential popularity polls. We got polls on healthcare. We got polls on which is just the basically, you know, what people think about it. And of course, it all depends on how you phrase the question. We got stories about global warming, and every time that there's tornadoes and storms, we all hear that global warming is the cause of it, even though there were tornadoes before they even thought there was global warming. We got a lot of coverage on March Madness brackets, even the president's. Brackets. He had time to fill all those things out and and do all that. These are all feeling things. Income inequality. Is that really a problem? 
Has, it, has income ever been equal? No. But now all of a sudden it's an issue. Minimum wage, stuff like that. Celebrities doing insane, insane thing. Gay rights, what marriage is. These are the things that we're focusing on in the news media. You know, how well Hillary will do if she runs. Things of this nature. But we're, the news media is completely bypassing the real stories. The fact that Putin wants to put together the Soviet Union again and is working on doing it and is working on taking over some countries and we're just kind of looking the other way. Does that not sound strangely like Germany? Like other nations in World War I and World War II when they were just, you know, Japan, the things that they had done and we were ignoring them then? We're ignoring the fact that the Soviet Union is extending their influence into our southern hemisphere. Venezuela, Cuba, other areas like this. We had, we had under the uh, Kennedy administration, we had that uh, missile crisis. And we were all upset about that. We got a Soviet warship that's over there in Cuba right now. Does anybody care? We got Soviet ships and planes that have been caught coming close to trying to spy on, uh, on our land. We had a Soviet plane that came over top of one of our warships. That's an act of war in a lot of places and is being ignored. We have our, our president who wants to talk about scaling down the military to pre-World War II levels. You have North Korea that's going crazy. You have the Soviet Union that's going crazy. You have Iraq that's ready to go nuclear. You have Pakistan that is unstable. You have Afghanistan that's going back over to the Taliban. You have Iraq that again is becoming unstable. Venezuela, the things that are going on there. A Mexican border that is unguarded. And states that are taken to task when they try and guard it. And our focus is on Sterling and his statements. What about Putin and his statements? What about John Kerry, Secretary of State, making statements about Israel and apartheid? Not realizing that in Israel they have both Jews and Arabs in government in elected offices living side by side. We've had two very ignorant people take over the State Department, and they have both made a shambles of it. And all of our nations across the, the way, all they did was pick on Condoleezza Rice, and I thought she did a pretty outstanding. I don't remember hearing any problems like this when Condoleezza Rice ran the place. And now you've got two guys, Hillary, and I don't, I'm just as much at fault as the president for appointing these people as Congress for approving them. You ought to have some background. You ought to have something to be able to, to do that says that you can be Secretary of State. And none of those candidates did. They just wanted a position. You've got to do more than want the position. You've got to have some credentials. You've got to have something that shows that you can do this. But that's where we are. We are at. We're paying little attention to the things that matter, even in our own country. We focused more on the fact of how they got the recording of John Kerry than on what John Kerry actually said. That's why I say don't, don't even listen to the media. They, 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 they tint us to how we would absorb the truth. If you've already heard the truth and then you hear what they have to say, then you're a little more guarded against it. But um, Israel is getting to be a place where they're feeling alone. They can't count on us. And we showed over with the um, nation of Ukraine that we, were, we had a treaty. Whether we should have the treaty or not, I think I've said it before, whether we should have had the treaty or not, that's a debatable thing, but we had the treaty. Under Clinton, 
They made this treaty. They disarmed. They were, I heard this stat. I was surprised at this. The Ukraine had the third largest nuclear arsenal in the world. Third largest. Mostly because the Soviet Union had most of their missile bases in the Ukraine. And when they separated, they, had, they inherited all those. That's why they had the third largest uh, right there. And they disarmed them. Because they, they signed the treaty that said the Soviet Union, the United States, Britain, and a few other nations would protect them if they were ever attacked. You didn't know that was there? We have a signed agreement with them that if they would disarm and they would t- scale down their, media, their um, army, that we would protect them if they were ever attacked. Soviet Union is in on that agreement. We are in on that agreement. Britain is in on that agreement. And a few other nations are in on that agreement. And we basically have said, see ya. And by our president ignoring the whether it's a good I think it's a bad agreement. I wouldn't have made the agreement if I was president. <laughs> I'm not qualified to be president, but if I was president, I would not have made the agreement. I think it's a bad agreement. I'd say tell the Ukraine, you guys defend yourself, keep the stuff that you got, and that's it. That's, that would have been fine with me. But we didn't. We made that agreement. What we're telling people like Japan, Germany, Israel, other nations that we are in league with. If you get attacked, you're on your own. We are telling them that. And it's not a good message to send. Because the whole idea is we are in league together to keep the world at peace. End times, the world will be at war. We are certainly setting the stage for that. So just be, be watchful of this thing. Don't let the media get you distracted with all these things. Sterling is an ignorant person making ignorant statements. But he has absolutely no power over anyone to do anything to them. Got no power at all. And as far as I know, he may have some racist views, but as he has a, doesn't he have a black coach? Doesn't he have people on a, on a team that are black? Hasn't he paid them all? Didn't he hire them? Didn't he go after the free agents? So it's, it's, it's not important like these other things. I'm not, it, it, Donald Sterling, it'll all work out. You know, if, if people over there in L.A. are offended, they shouldn't go to the games. If they're offended, they shouldn't advertise. That's how you take care of it. But here's the thing that you've got to be real careful about. The country is worked up into a frenzy. Like this situation with Paul, they are worked up to a frenzy. And the country is calling for his personal property to be taken from him. Because we're all upset because it's a racist statement and it's a racist person. What happens, let's just take it and bring it to home. What happens if a church makes a statement about marriage. And the powers that be say that's a racist statement against people who are not male and female in marriage. We're going to take your church away. Would it be okay then? You cannot draw a line between what Sterling is doing and what other, tr- other churches or other groups believe. You cannot draw a line there. The line is, in this country, you have the freedom to say what you want you also will bear the consequences of whatever it is that you say. That's how it works. One, two, three, four, five, six. I don't know why it's going off here tonight, but it. So be, be careful about being brought into a frenzy with the whole thing of, of this. It's, um, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous place to be. And don't get into the thinking. No one has a right to take Donald Sterling's team away from him, no matter what ridiculous statement he makes. It is his property. And if you don't defend that, then if you make a statement 
that people don't agree with? What if they come and take your house away? What if they come and take your car away because they don't like a statement that you made and you don't have the right to make that statement and you've offended certain people by making that statement? That's where it can go. And don't think that it can't. Don't think that it can't. Look at the history. Look at what happened in Germany before. Look at what happened in some of these other places, Italy, under Mussolini. Look at what happened under the Japan and the places where they were at. Don't think that rights can't go away. Even in this country, we've seen it happen. We have to be, be very careful. Don't get caught into a frenzy. These folks are in a frenzy and will go after just about anything. They're making statements based on feeling, not fact or law. We need to make statements based on fact or law. These are the facts. This is what the law says. Our Constitution, our law says a few things. That's what we go by. Not by, well, I don't feel like he should do that. It doesn't make any difference. We've got to get past all, all those kind of things. Verse uh, 23. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air. Now, see, now we're talking about an, a, a law-abiding offense here. Tearing off your clothes. That's not a good thing. You can get arrested if you tear off too many. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, well, they're all worked up. I mean, how, how worked up do you have to get where you are throwing dust up in the air? If you throw dust up in the air, where does it come down on? It comes down on you. It gets in your eyes. gets in your hair. I mean, it's a mess. Why do you want to do that? And tearing your clothes off? Those clothes cost money. <laughs> Why do you want to tear your clothes off? And as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. He is assuming this guy has done something really bad because two times this crowd has gotten to an uncontrollable state over this guy. So we're going to pull him into the barracks, we're going to tie him up, and we are going to beat him until he tells us why. That's how the Romans did it. They would beat you until you told them why the crowd was upset. I just asked the crowd. Why are you upset? And as they bound him with, with uh, thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. So the commander turned him over to a centurion, and the centurion was about to administer the, the uh, whipping. And then Paul said, uh, I've got a question for you. <laughs> And he was a little nervous about that. So when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, so he comes back into the room, sits down near Paul and says, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. Now that's all he has to do is make the declaration, I am a Roman. It's up to them to prove or, uh, that he is or is not. He's made the declaration. If you make a declaration that you are a Roman and you are not, you are in serious trouble. And so they can verify it. That's not too hard for them to verify. I don't know what they They don't have the computer. They can't call it up on the Internet or stuff like that. But they have ways to verify it. Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, yes. The commander answered, with a large sum, of, with a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. So there are three ways that you can get into being a Roman citizen. Three different ways. First off, Paul talks about birth. We're only talking about two ways here, but first way is birth. The second way is bucks. <laughs> you can be born a citizen or you can pay for it. And this man is saying he got in there the second way, which is the bucks. Paul says, I got in there the first way, and that's the most, that's the highest way. He was born a Roman citizen. This guy, I paid a lot of money. And 
you can look up all you want to. I can't find out how much money you got to pay to be a Roman citizen. It's just it's a large sum of money. That's all I can tell you. It's a large to those folks. It's a large sum of money. So that's the third one. There is a third way you can become a Roman citizen, and that's not discussed here. The third way is battles. If you get involved in the military and serve 25 years and are honorably discharged, you will become a Roman citizen. They did this because they needed more, more people in the military. And so they did this as a perk to be in the, in the military and put your life on the line. So they offered Roman citizenship to those who would serve, but you had to serve for 25 years. So birth, bucks, and battles. That's how you can get in there to be a Roman citizen. Three different ways to, to do it. Paul got in there by birth. The uh, commander got in there by buying it, but he got in by bucks. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all the council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Well, that's about the best way to go. I mean, if you want to find out what's going on, let's talk to the people that are mad. So he's going to get the people that are mad. He's going to get Paul into the room. And we're going to find out what's going on here. So that because he wanted to know, he, he wanted to know, he wanted to get to the bottom of this. Now, he's also got the motivation that he just arrested a Roman citizen. That's not a good thing to do right there. But Paul's not one. He's not going to be all going out there trying to press charges and all that sort of stuff. But he wanted to know. This, uh, this guy, he was a good guy. He was a good commander. And he wanted to know what the trouble here is. Let's try and solve this problem. Let's get rid of it. Then Paul, verse 1, verse uh, 1 of chapter 23. Then Paul, looking earnestly... At the council said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. So somebody stood by him and struck him on the mouth. And that didn't go real well with Paul. Now, Ananias is saying this because he doesn't believe that anyone can live their life perfectly. Of course, Jesus said what? Be ye perfect as I am perfect. So it must be possible. So Paul is just saying, he's not saying he's done everything, but as far as his conscience is concerned, he had a clear conscience. As, as far as the law was, was concerned, he, he upheld the law. And he talked about that in other places in Scripture. Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Now, Ananias is one who does not live life in good conscience. He's an evil man. We'll find out more about that as we go on here. So Ananias orders Paul struck on a supposition. He supposed that what he's saying is wrong. He doesn't know it. Again, we're seeing people that are making judgments not based on facts or law, on feeling. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Now the wording there is very keen because what it is, a whitewashed wall, when you put whitewash on a wall, you're taking all the dirt that's on there and covering it up and making it look nice and white. That's what he's saying. You are a dirty, sinful, ugly man that you have just put a nice whitewash cover on. That's what he is saying to him. And Ananias does not like that too much. <laughs> so um, he may have struck him, but, he, but Paul sure delivered a good blow right here. God will, uh, well, let's go do that one. Um, Paul said, and God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you condemn me to be struck contrary to the law? He said, you didn't go back to the law to do anything for this striking to occur. There's no law that you're involved with. There's no law that you proved that I broke that you should strike me. But you did it anyway. Now, look at this. God will strike you, 
you whitewashed wall. One year from this time, now I don't know if it's exactly year, but the next year, uh, this man dies. Ananias dies. So the, what Paul pronounced there came, came true. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and, you, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? So you got Ananias. He's an evil guy. He, was, um, he's, he may not even be high priest right now. And this is where Paul's confusion comes in. Let's, let's go on and read that. And those who stood by him said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. He was not aware. Generally, the high priest is dressed in a certain garb that would tell you. And Paul would know what the high priest would wear. So if he was there in the meeting in his high priest robe, which is different from the regular priest, it would say, I'm the high priest. He was removed about nine years prior to this from being high priest. I think it was nine years. He removed some years prior to this. Uh, from being high priest and his son, he w- w- worked it so that his son, I think Jonathan was his name, was put in his place, but he still served as high priest over his son. In fact, uh, we, we went over that one, uh, I think Easter, about all the things that were going on with, with him and how he uh, put himself in that place and where place he's even called the high priest, but he's not the high priest. So I think this is a situation where he is acting as the high priest, but he's not actually the high priest. And so Paul is confused in that he doesn't see him as the high priest. He knows he's not in the position of high priest, nor is he wearing the robe of a high priest. But the people in the room see him as the high priest, even though Jonathan may be the one sitting in it. They still see him as the one ruling. So that's where some of the confusion comes in. And so Paul just backs down and says, I did not know that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. People have taken this out of context and they believe that anyone who is a ruler of a country, ruler, mayors, governors, presidents, congressmen, all these sort of things, that you cannot speak any evil of them. That is not true. If a person in a high position is guilty of something against God, against the word, what did the prophets do? They, they all pinpointed. They would come out and they would say it. If, if uh, when Daniel was brought before the king... And the handwriting was on the wall. Did he treat him really nice? No, he spoke very harshly to him because he was missing it. When Elijah came before Ahab and all the other ones, did they speak nice? How many times we have kings who say, oh, we don't want to call him. He hates me. (laughs) Because they would speak the truth to these rulers. If God's prophets did it over and over again, then you cannot take this one verse and go against all those other verses that... To show us that this was to be done. If we have a p- people that are in rulership positions that are doing things against the word of God, not against what you want, but against the word of God. If they are doing things against the law of the land, then you call them to task. That is what we are to do. That's what was done in the word and that's we will we will continue to do it. And not, not going on this way. He just says he would have a respect for the office, not for the man. For the office. And certainly you have a respect for the office, but not necessarily for the person. When it's a person like this, Ananias is a horrible, despicable individual. So we got this conflict that goes on between Paul and Ananias. Verse 6. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, 
Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection. Just lost my my spot there. Uh, For Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit. Isn't that amazing? No angel, even though they're in the Bible. (laughs) Even though God talks about the spirit of a man in the Bible. No, there's no spirit. There's no angels. Just totally go past all those things in the, in the Word. Not only no resurrection of people, but no angel and no spirit. But the Pharisees confessed both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. So we went from the place of being mad, wanting him dead, to we don't find anything wrong with him. <laughs> Simply because they sided on the, the part of the resurrection. We find no evil in this man, but if, a, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So this is what they're saying. You guys don't believe in spirit and angels. We believe that a spirit or angel probably spoke to him. <laughs> I mean, you guys don't believe. <laughs> so you see, he really started up some, some things here. Because they heard his message outside. They heard what he was saying. We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. <laughs> so they're trying to to say, you know, we, we shouldn't fight against God here. We're all on God's side. Now, when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them. Well, now they're being pulled to pieces because one group wants to tear them apart and the other group, other group is trying to preserve them and pull them over to their side. So this is different now than it was before. So there arose a great dissension. The commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. So Paul has a perception. He doesn't just make a statement to divide. He identifies with a belief. There are many people in our country today who simply make statements to divide and never side with a belief. Paul doesn't do that. He makes a statement that does divide, but he sides with his belief. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in that there is life after death. I am a Pharisee. This is what I believe. So he comes out and he states, this is what I believe. Too too many times we see people in in the press. I mean, how many times does Al Sharpton want to make a dividing statement? And you still don't know which side this guy stands on. He makes a statement to divide, but he identifies with a belief. You are going to make statements that will divide people because you have beliefs. And there are some people who like those beliefs and some people who do not. Just as Paul's in a group here, some people like those beliefs and there's other people who do not. They will divide. Jesus even said, do you think I came to bring unity? Uh-uh. I came to bring division because people are going to stand for a belief. So the council becomes divided. Suddenly, he's uh, the centurion is, or the commander is saying, we're not going to get anywhere with uh, finding out the truth here. So let's just take Paul and get out of here. His idea was good. Let's get everybody to sit down and, and go over this. Uh, but really, Paul was not being... Gr- the reason that the whole thing started up was not because of anything over the resurrection of the dead. It had to do with other things, the law and grace. But he did distract it here and caused a division. And... Uh, Went on from there, but at least he did side with a, a belief. So we put here in your outline here that in this day too, we must, three things. First off, know the truth. We must know 
the truth. We've got to preach the truth. And we've got to stand for the truth. We've got to know, we've got to preach, we've got to stand for. These are the things we need to do. Know, preach, and stand for the truth. Opposition will come. People are going to try and make you not stand for the truth. To have you go in a different direction. Don't tolerate it. Don't back down. What we're seeing right now in this country is a big push for everyone who believes contrary to remain quiet. If you don't believe in gay rights, remain quiet. Because we put in a great deal of pressure on those who have certain views as far as the, the gay rights agenda. If you believe in marriage between a man and a woman, keep quiet. If you believe that abortion is wrong, keep quiet. Don't take your money and put it to candidates to put it to causes that will promote these things. No, no. Because if you do that, we're going to get the IRS to check you out. We're going to have you guys audited. All we're trying to do is create fear. If we can create fear in people, then we don't. We may know the truth, but we won't preach it because we don't want to know people knowing that I, that's what I think. And we certainly won't stand for it. We need to still continue to know, to preach, and to stand for it. If the majority of people in this country stay quiet, then the truth will not be stood for. And we have to be careful. Stand for the truth. The truth is out there. The pressure is coming on for us to be quiet about it. The Bible is full of absolutes. This is wrong. It is always wrong. No matter what the condition, this is wrong. This is right. This is not right. This is wrong. The Bible calls marriage union, union between a man and a wife. If you don't want to believe the Bible and you want to go against it, that's fine. You go right on ahead. You will suffer the consequences. If we're wrong, you have no consequences. If we're right, you do. But stop trying to impose your view and keep us to be quiet. That's what we have to stand up against. People are going to try to get you to be quiet. Despite the opposition that we know is going to come because we're going to make a stand, we need to make it anyway. Paul stood up in front of many a mob and declared the truth as God gave it. You've got to know on the inside, he knows as soon as I say Gentiles, as soon as I say I'm sent to the Gentiles, these folks are going to get upset. I just, but I have to say it. This is what God said to me. These are the words that God said. And he comes out and he says it. And they all got all caught up in their feelings, regardless of the law, regardless of what's right, regardless of, of any of that. I don't feel like that's right. And we have to stand against that. This whole Donald Sterling thing kind of comes in real nice with, with what's going on here because it's one of those things he can stir up feelings. And really, most of this country is filled with people who don't believe like Donald Sterling does. Thank God for that. You can tell by just the outrage that most of this country has because they've heard what his, his statements are. Most people in this country don't feel that way. There are some that do. They are small. They are few. They're out there. But the majority of people don't believe that way. Let's not treat the country like it does. You listen to some of these folks in the news media, they think <laughs> we're the, the same way we were many, many years ago. We are the only country who fought a war over getting rid of the slavery issue. The only country that did it success successfully. There are still some people in this country 
that will have views like a Donald Sterling. There are still people who have views against groups of whatever they might be. It might be the color of skin. It might be religious beliefs. It might be country they came from. It might be whatever it might be. It doesn't make any difference. What matters is the Word of God tells us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, to show them our love, to stand for the truth, to make the proclamation of what the truth is. But we don't force anyone to do the truth, to believe the truth, or to follow the truth. It's their choice. If they want to have a marriage that's between two guys or two women, we're, we're, we're not called to stand in their way. We are called to tell them what the truth of the Word of God is. And if they come to us and they say, what do you believe marriage is? We tell them what the Word of God says. If they come to us and they say, what do you think about abortion? We tell them what the Word of God says. That's what I believe. I believe what's in the Word of God. Well, I don't. Well, that's your right to not believe that. But you will suffer the consequences. That's all that there is to it. You will suffer the consequences. Whatever it is that we believe, there are consequences to it. Let's get the message out. Let's let people know. But we can say it in a loving way. You look at how some of these people just respond even to the Donald Sterling thing or some other people, the things they, they say. There's hate in their voice. There's anger in their voice because of another group who believes something different. We are never called to have anger or hate to a group who believes differently than we are. We're simply called to proclaim the truth. We've been in the book of Acts now for 22 chapters, a little bit into chapter 20, 23. And we've seen a lot about Paul. Paul has gone all over the world. He's seen many different cities, many different religions, many different gods, many different temples. He's never gotten mad at anyone because they believe differently than he. He simply proclaims the gospel. And those who want to hear, he tells them more. And those who don't want to hear, he lets them go. That's our view. That's what we do. We stand for the truth. We never get mixed up with hate. Never get mixed up in forcing people to obey the Word of God or to come alongside the views of the Word of God. But the other side is always trying to force people to believe a certain way. I'll tell you what side they're from. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in working this out in our life. We want to love all the folks that are around us. We don't care about their race, we don't care about their color of their skin. We don't care about their religious background, where they were born, how they were raised. We care about sharing the love of Jesus with them, the gospel message, that there is life for them after this life, and it can be a good one. If they just repent, follow after God, make Jesus their Lord, their life can be completely changed. Help us, Father, to stay with the simplicity of the message of the gospel. And never force people to comply with what our views are or what we see in the Word of God as being right. You never forced anyone to believe. Jesus, when he was down here, never forced anyone. Paul never forced anyone. They just proclaimed. And some would come along and some will believe. And some will disbelieve. And they're free to do that. You've given us that freedom, Father. The freedom to choose. To choose life or to choose death. Father, we're here on this earth to help people see that life with you is fantastic. And it changes the way we look at all people.
and the love of God dwells within us. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.